0: Good afternoon, I'm Frank Ling, and this is the Grox Science Show.
1: That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee.
0: On this week's special Nobel Prize edition, we have Barney Groves talking about the chemistry prize, and Ron Chen with the physics prize.
1: In addition, you can find out what it takes to become a Nobel Prize laureate. Also, we'll find out what red dye is made from. So stay tuned for all this, plus the world-famous Question of the Week, coming right up here on the Grok Science Show.
0: Welcome back to the Grok Science Show. I'm Frankly, and I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How you doing, Frank? Pretty noble, actually. It's, it is that noble time of
1: year. Yeah. When When uh, science takes a holiday. It's like Christmas. (laughs) And everyone uh, gets a present. Well, at least the best scientists in the world get a present anyway. Mm, I like carbon. (laughs) I like all sorts of things. I'm I'm wondering when the Grok Science Show will be uh,
0: receiving its Nobel Prize. Ah, yes. Maybe we should give out the Grok Science Prize or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, who would we award it to? I mean, we have so many awards to give except no monetary compensation for it.
0: How about the President of the United States?
1: Uh, yes, he could get the Grox Award for what? A different kind of science. <laughs> I guess, namely creationism. I think, yeah, redefining what is science <laughs> uh, by basically uh, ignoring it. Uh, well, it's, it's pretty cool every year. I mean, I'm always excited to find out uh, who gets the uh, Nobel Prizes every year. And this yeah. year, it's a great crop of people. Again. Again, I, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of them, of course, we can be expected to, but... <laughs> <laughs> Makes me want
0: to be a scientist again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> again, you know, I love science. But science doesn't love me. Mm. <laughs> uh, very cool. So it looks like we have some pretty cool guests. So um, who's on the program
0: today? Actually, a son of one of the uh, prize winners in chemistry, uh, Barney Groves, and also from Berkeley, uh, Ron Shen, to talk about the physics prize. All right, we're well, very cool. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Welcome back to Breakfast Rocks. Well, this year's Nobel Prize in Chemistry, awarded uh, just this morning, was for work done with uh, catalysts in organic chemistry. These are agents used to uh, facilitate the synthesis of specific single molecules as well as polymer chains. Uh, Macromolecules are repeating chemical units. And uh, joining us right now is a very special guest, uh, the son of one of the uh, winners, uh, Professor Robert Grubbs. And with us right now is Professor Barney Grubbs from Dartmouth University to tell us about uh, this year's prize. Uh, Professor Grubbs, thanks for joining us today on Berkeley Grocks.
2: Thanks, Frank. Thanks.
0: So first of all, um, could you tell us a little bit what the prize was about this year? Well, it's Basically,
2: another Nobel Prize which has been awarded to, I guess, celebrate development of, uh, by now, a reasonably well-developed method for making carbon-carbon bonds. In this case, specifically, carbon-carbon double bonds. And so carbon-carbon double bonds are, are, are actually very important uh, chemical, functional groups. If you're familiar with the polymers that make up a plastic bag or a coffee cup, these are all made from uh, small molecules which have reacted through a double bond to make longer chains of materials. The catalysts that uh, the Nobel Prize is awarded for can make related types of polymers where there are double bonds along the backbone um, by a slightly different mechanism, but they can also be used to make a, a large number of other organic molecules um, which are useful for as, as drugs or as pheromones or as Size, but also, they can make polymers for materials like baseball bats and, and car bodies, tanks for holding things, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I understand one of the um, aspects of the chemistry involved was that you could actually carry out these reactions under very, um, so we say, mild conditions. We don't need um, uh, heavy solvents. How does exactly does that work?
2: One of the very nice things about the newer generations of, of these um, olefin metathesis catalysts is that even though they use small amounts of normally very highly reactive metals, uh, metal species that would react with rapidly with oxygen or with water to make essentially useless bits of metallic species or bits of metal, these new catalysts are, are designed so that they're, they're stable. You can use them to make molecules in the presence of water, in the presence of air, do them, run the reactions in the absence of, of large amounts of, of volatile organic solvents. And so for these reasons, they're, they're much more efficient. You can make um, molecules and materials both efficiently using the sometimes relatively expensive metals, and you can also minimize the amount of waste, which you might ultimately have to pay to get rid of, or might be otherwise difficult to dispose of.
0: Great. So um, maybe we can ask you a couple questions about your dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was it like growing up uh, in a household? Uh, were you inspired by him to become a chemist yourself?
2: Well, it's always um, it's always interesting to look back on, uh, on one's youth and one's... Uh, <laughs> The way in which one interacts with one's parents as a as a child and a teenager and a young adult and as an older adult, p- people have many different relationships with their parents. Um, I don't necessarily think I was interested in chemistry until a little bit later on in life, but I was always around. And questions about chemical things like carbon dating, or what happens if you stick a frog in liquid nitrogen, could always pretty easily find an answer. So it was there, but it wasn't an overwhelming presence.
0: I see. So um, now that there's more attention for these um, um, kinds of catalysts, uh, what do you think are some of the interesting developments that are happening in the field today? Well,
2: I, mean, I, th- I think the research groups are looking at using these systems. There are many different aspects of 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 chemistry that are being affected by the the catalysts. Uh, People are looking at making new polymeric materials. People are looking at designing new catalytic systems that might be even more active, or more stable, or might allow you to better control the way two carbon atoms um, form a bond. And there's still a lot. It's still by no means a mature area of research.
0: Great. Thanks a lot. And we were just talking to Professor Barney Groves on this year's Chemistry Nobel Award Uh, in a few moments. Ron Shin will join us to talk about the Physics Award, so stay tuned. Well, this year's Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded uh, just yesterday for work in optical physics, and this year's awardees are... Dr. John Hall, uh, Roy Glauber, and a German, Theodor Hänch, And joining us right now is uh, Professor Ron Shin here at UC Berkeley to explain a little bit of the science behind it. Um, Professor Shin, thanks for joining us today. What exactly is uh, optical physics?
3: Well, optics, you have, if you want to understand optics, uh, optics is part of the physics field. So uh, in the physics courses, Uh, Optics is the part of uh, a a basic physics course that uh, we teach students. Optics is tremendously broad. What uh, you see things, how you see things, these are all optics. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the other hand, if we expand the field into uh, a broader region, then it will encompass also lower frequency and higher frequency and, you know, these are all kinds of uh, radiations. So optics is only a very narrow spectrum of the radiation that you can actually see by eyes. That's usually what we call optics. But then it can be infrared optics, can be ultraviolet optics, can be X-ray optics. <laughs>
0: mm, um, just one last question here. Um, what are some of the applications uh, these discoveries have led to? Okay.
3: First of all, Glauber's work is on theoretical aspect of uh, quantum properties of optics or quantum properties of uh, photons. Mm-hmm. And. This is like laying the foundation for the quantum optics, counting photons and the behavior of photons and so on. Hench's work is uh, on using lasers to study all kinds of uh, fundamental phenomena, uh, what we call precision spectroscopy. Precision means with very, very high resolution in determining the frequency, the time, the distance. So one application of that is to uh, uh, is for the GPS. You know GPS. Yes. And that can make GPS uh, much m- more accurate. And the other is uh, clock. You can make the time much more accurate. Measurement of time much more accurate. And Jane Hall's work is also somewhat similar and also touches upon all the fundamental physics measurements using lasers.
0: So uh, I just want to say thank you very much. Okay. And that was Professor Ron Shen from UC Berkeley on this year's Physics Prize. Okay, that wasn't that really cool? Well, it's amazing.
1: I mean, the Nobel Prizes every year, I just get so jazzed up, I want to... I don't know. Go out and do some science.
0: You know, one of these days, we've got to go to that party in Stockholm.
1: <laughs> I don't think I'd be invited, even if I'd won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> I think they'd... We'll just mail you yours, is what they'll tell me. <laughs> so I don't know how that works. It's like the Oscars, huh? <laughs> yeah, except without the glitz and glamour, I guess. Or the streakers.
0: Yeah.
1: Or Joan Rivers commenting on uh, the attire that people wear. Anyway, so it was pretty cool. Um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, actually, at uh, what some of the Nobel Prizes were awarded for this year.
0: Uh, yeah, I totally did not expect any of them, actually.
1: Yeah, well, who would have th- I mean, uh, we didn't have an interview on this, but the uh, biology medicine prize this year went to uh, the discovery of Hel- Helobacteria
0: pylori, right? Right, it was for uh, Robin Warren and uh, Barry Marshall in Australia.
1: That's right. So, congratulations to uh,
0: those Australians down there, and um, yeah, some more uh, prizes for the people on the other side of the equator.
1: <laughs> well, we need to increase like the density over there, otherwise, the Earth will get lopsided from all the metals on the north northern hemisphere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh but it's certainly surprising I didn't think uh, ulcer research uh, was uh, worthy of a Nobel prize.
0: Well maybe it's actually a very serious disease or something that um, I guess fortunately we don't we're not aff- afflicted with. So uh,
1: <laughs> Well I have ulcers pretty much every day.
0: <laughs> is that from stress or is it from uh,
1: uh, a well, <laughs> <laughs> It's Because they don't have the Nobel prize.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty stressful. Yeah.
1: I guess pretty much every day until you get the Nobel prize is. <laughs> Uh, well, also very uh, con- uh, good congratulations to all the people, of course, who won the chemistry prize. Uh, oh,
0: right. Uh, of course, uh, uh, Robert Grubbs from Caltech. Yes,
1: indeed. And uh, I guess we have sort of the uh, dubious honor of having actually taken organic
0: chemistry from him. back. Yeah. Chem 41, right? Chem 41. Well, I had the honor of sleeping through some of the courses, I guess. I had the honor of not going to most of them. <laughs> what? Eight in the morning or something?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit painful, but, uh, and I'm, I'm sure he's a brilliant scientist and everything, but uh, yeah, I suppose I just wasn't able to uh, comprehend his inimitable teaching style.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very dark in there.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, uh, certainly. If not a uh, profound teacher, at least a profound researcher, as evidenced by the Nobel Prize this year. Mhm. And uh, of course, the, the Physics Prize this year.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, John Hall, Roy Glaube, Glauber, and uh, Theodore Hange. Indeed. For uh, a number of, uh, actually two different types of discoveries. I guess related to optical physics. Yes,
1: right. Uh, so, very uh, very fun stuff. And of course, uh, later in the week, uh, we'll have the Economics Prize.
0: Uh-huh. And... Um, the Peace and the Literature.
1: Yes. So, looking forward to those, even though it's not science per se.
0: Uh, I guess economists claim that they are science, but, uh, hmm, sometimes I wonder.
1: Uh, let's see, so, well, again, so congratulations uh, this year to all of the Nobel Prize recipients for...
0: Yeah, Uh <laughs> brings back the thrill of science, huh?
1: <laughs> again, it makes me want to go out and do some science. <laughs> not so much that I'm actually going to do it, but it does make me want to feel like I should do some science today. <laughs> And hopefully everyone out there will also feel the same way.
0: Yes, everyone should be a postdoc at some point. (laughs) Show the pain. That's right. So yeah,
1: so coming up next, we'll uh, be talking with someone from the Exploratorium about the uh, traveling Nobel Prize exhibit that's coming through uh, the Bay Area. Rocks here on 90.7 FM KALX. Well, while the Nobel Prizes are awarded every year, few may know about the stories behind these fascinating discoveries. And these are uh, recorded and shown in a traveling exhibit at the Exploratorium. Joining us today to discuss this traveling exhibit is Ms. Mary Miller. She's a science writer and science and museum liaison over at the Exploratorium. Ms. Miller, thank you very much for joining us today on Berkeley Rocks.
4: Oh, you're welcome. I'm pleased to be with you. Uh,
1: Well, it's certainly a pleasure to have you on the program. And uh, this sounds like a very fascinating exhibit. I'm, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about it.
4: Yes, and the exhibit is actually quite large for us. It takes up quite a lot of the back part of our museum. And the reason it's so big is because there have been 770, approximately, Nobel laureates since the inception of this prize in the very early 1900s. So, obviously, that's a lot of people. Um, not everybody is featured with their own story in the exhibition, but many of the famous and very interesting recipients of the science prizes, the peace prizes, and the literature prizes, they're represented with stories, and film, and it's really about the people and um, their stories and importance that that is featured in this exhibition.
1: I see. I understand there's also a number of scientific artifacts from uh, labs of the people.
4: Yes, uh, we actually have a Nobel Medal, Mm. some of the other artifacts There's one, actually there's one interactive science exhibit that was donated by a Nobel laureate. But yes, a lot of them are various instruments and artifacts from the laboratories of the Nobel laureate.
1: I see. And so what are some of the more uh, fascinating stories that you've uh, seen around there?
4: Well, you know, there's a fascinating story about Einstein. Who mm-hmm. Einstein is being honored this year because it's been 100 years since he wrote his really very, very famous papers about relativity. But a lot of people don't know that Einstein was, was somewhat of a controversial Nobel laureate because for many years he was passed over. And part of the reason he was passed over is that Nobel Prizes are normally not given to people who just think up theories. It's given to people who make discoveries. But Einstein actually made some discoveries as well, so he didn't get his Nobel Prize for his theories. He got his Nobel Prize for discovering Mm -hmm. the nature of light, the photoelectric effect. Mm -hmm and that's probably one of his most important contributions to science. But the Nobel Prizes are selected by a committee of five people, and sometimes things don't always go really smoothly for that. And eventually they right all of the wrongs. Any one particular year, you know, as I said, there are people who make the selections. So. Mm -hmm. Right. so who knows what can happen.
1: It's a very human process. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see, so I understand there's a number of science events that are also going on at Yeah, the... we
4: have some science lectures happening here. We've already had two and they're on our website now as podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a lecture about the background of the Nobel Prize, about Alfred Nobel and his will and how Nobel laureates are selected and that was given by a Swedish professor named Antje Sperny. We had a lecture about Einstein and string theory. Coming up, we have an event with the Commonwealth Club, and it will be a conversation with Stephen Chu, who is the new director for the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, Mm -hmm. and then finally on lecture with a physicist named Douglas Osheroff, who's at Stanford. But we also have some events on the floor and book-reading clubs, and all of our events are listed on our website. There's also been some other radio events and some other uh, lectures and things that are in the community.
1: I see. Uh, So for people who want to check this out, what's your your website address?
4: Ah, yes. The the website address Uh is www.exploratorium.edu slash nobel. And that will list all of the events and information on our open hours and the exhibition itself.
1: Okay, and then after that, uh, it's traveling overseas?
4: Then it will be traveling um, overseas. It came from New York and it's going to London, actually. Oh, okay. So then, well, I think minutes. it's very, it's interesting because in the Bay Area we have lots of, actually quite a lot of Nobel laureates mm-hmm. in the right. U.S. in general. And um, we love our Nobel laureates and we honor them, but it's interesting that in other countries, the Nobel laureates, they become almost rock stars. <laughs> I, there was a recent Nobel laureate from Japan who got trailed by five TV crews everywhere he went when it was announced that he won the Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it gives us a little bit of perspective here that we may be somewhat blasé about our famous <laughs> our famous scientists and uh, writers and peace prize recipients but in other countries they, they are um, treated like royalty. Hmm. So, so m- maybe we ought to do a little bit more of that.
1: I, I would agree. It's some <laughs> change of priorities I think is important.
4: <laughs> there you go.
1: Alright, well uh, Ms. Miller, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on Berkeley Drox and uh, telling us all about fascinating events going on the Exploratorium.
4: Great, and it's a great exhibit and we invite everybody to come see it.
0: Okay, in Tokyo Kid with the, the answer to last week's question of the week. What is the red dye chemical for making red fabric? Well, in the past it was made from uh, natural products like uh, parts from insects and also uh, from cinnabar. Uh, often they were contaminated with uh, mercury sulfide uh, causing mad hatters for people wearing red hats. But these days uh, there's tons of synthetic compound, and that's how you get your clothes so red. Alright, my pretty, wanna play ball, scarecrow?
1: <laughs> it's the Wicked Witch of the West again with this week's question of the week. Well, mmm, water can melt me, melt?
4: Melting, melting melting what a world what a world
1: but what's the only element that can be melted at room temperature well if you know the answer or think you know the answer email us at grox at hotmail.com
0: you're not gonna win anything but oh, we can just play ball scarecrow and that's all for this special noble edition of the Grox science show make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology if you'd like to contact us here at grox you can email us at grox at for the grox science show i'm frank ling
1: And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music.